This episode is brought to you by HBO's original drama series, The Leftovers, starring Justin Thoreau and Carrie Coon. Expect the unexpected as this Peabody Award-winning series prepares for the seventh anniversary of The Departure for your Emmy consideration in Outstanding Drama Series and all other categories. Dave Porter is the two-time ASCAP Music Award-winning composer of Vince Gilligan's Breaking Bad and its spin-off series Better Call Saul, now in its third season on AMC. Sometimes a musical score can completely take over a scene, but Porter is different. He melts his notes with synthetic sound design, creating a score that raises his suspense and gets to the underpinnings of dirty lawyers and drug dealers, all with a postmodern Western vibe. He's also the composer on NBC's The Blacklist, which he's also won an ASCAP TV series award for, as well as AMC's Preacher. In today's crew call, we talk with Porter about laying down the score for Better Call Saul's season three. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. What I think is is really awesome about uh, the music in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, you melt correct me if I'm wrong, sound design with music. And what this does is it it really gives you, first of all, it gives you a sense of the stakes, and there's also a psychological underpinning for the characters. And like, for example, in, in, um, in episode, in episode uh, number eight, Slip, when Aaron Trout is out looking for the body, it's a it's an eerie suspense. Yeah, you hear you hear some guitar, but then it's tell us about your process and how you find things. Not, I mean, there's something called cork and screw in, in mixing. Mm-hmm. With with I've heard about this where you where tracks you know you record a track. And then you kind of turn it inside out in, the, in in mixing. Is that what's going on here, in a lot of in a lot of cues? No, not for me. I think uh, I'm approaching it pretty intentionally from the start. Uh, the goal always in both shows um, has been to be to create an environment that's very immersive. And so the the role of score is not always about some bigger, broader thematic statement. It's it's often about being very in the moment. It's being very involved in 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 the headspace of the characters with whom you're sharing this experience. And the the beauty of melding music and sound design and the entire aural experience uh, together at the same time is that it's gonna create that an easier pathway, I think, for our audience to to not only dive into the story, but not necessarily be led in any kind of creative or emotional or moral direction. Um, it's not, hopefully, the goal is not to so much comment as, as invite people in to bring their own perspective uh, to what they're watching and form their own conclusions. I mean, I... It's very sharp mentally in the sense that, I mean, you. it's not like a John Williams theme where it's like, it's like there. It's, it's in the back of your mind and it's working 
it's just you know like when 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 Nacho is 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 spooning drugs into Don Hector's pills, and there's the chorus of uh, you know still working, still working. Mm-hmm. There, you know, it just it 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 raises the scene. It just it gives it a heavy intensity over a montage. Um, how do you find? I mean, how do you find your sounds, and how how long does this take? I spend a lot of time on sound creation. Um, I uh, I eschew using templates. Uh, I think a lot of uh, people who do what I do may come into it with uh, a set of sounds or or uh, instruments that they've allotted to use for a particular project or whatever. And I, I while I'm certainly do that on occasion I try not to limit myself and I try to come into every cue that I'm working on from a very blank and new place and uh, I'm very visually stimulated I'm blessed to work on these shows which have obviously such amazing uh, work that's all come before me acting directing writing everything and so it's very easy to watch these scenes and be uh, drawn in myself as a viewer um, and feel what it is that I think or hope that I can add to any particular scene emotionally, tension, um, whatever it might be. And then once I've sort of conquered that hurdle before I've written anything, then I'll start thinking about the sounds that I think are going to be most useful towards getting me there. A lot of time, it's happy accidents. Um, it's, a, it's a lot about trial and error. Uh, I throw a lot of sounds and musical motifs and ideas up against the picture while it's just running in a loop. And so eventually, I find something that resonates for me, and hopefully that's a germ that starts the process rolling, and then from there, I'm creating a whole piece. And there's no motifs? Rarely. Like, I, I, I always hear, like, the the tubular like it's almost like a tubular bell of some sort <laughs> like there I, I you hear it in you hear it in in like the Breaking Bad theme and then you hear it in the um, like for example in the same episode in in Slip which aired on June fifth when when Nacho is is uh, switching the pills mm-hmm. when when he's literally in the restaurant and he's he's unpocketing the, the, the Don, Don Hector's prescriptions and mm-hmm. then he puts it back in. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of that. Sure. Like I'm just, I'm just curious, yeah, no, do you sure. come back to certain, certain instruments or certain? I think I have a proclivity for instruments talking about going back to talking about blending music and sound design I also love to blend the organic and the electronic and I think one of the things maybe you're catching on is that 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 sort of percussive nature of bells and 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 pitched percussion in general uh, very easily can blur those lines could it could it be a synthesizer could it be vibes could it be a marimba uh, and sometimes it's some combination of all of that. And I think those, those sounds always interest me because I think to your ear, they feel emotional. They don't feel cold or sterile. They have some basis in, 
in a factual instrument that your ears have heard before, um, but maybe not quite what you've heard before. So let's go way back. How did you meet Vince, and and how was he drawn to you to to start to start writing music for Breaking Bad? So I. Uh, came upon Breaking Bad very early on because I was already friends and had previously worked with uh, both the music supervisor and the music editor uh, separately, actually, on different projects. Uh, but they were both hired, I think, within the same weekend uh, to work on the pilot early on. And they both, in the same afternoon, called me and said, Dave, I just saw this most unbelievable pilot. Um, you would love it. It's right up your alley. Um, and..." we just think you should see it and be aware of it. And I have to know that at this time, Breaking Bad was on AMC, a channel that, let's be honest, nobody watched. It, it was a channel for very old movies. It did not have a dramatic uh, television presence yet. Mad Men maybe had just started on the air. Uh, so I was just super fortunate to be in the right place at that time. Saw the pilot earlier on, or very early on, and was astonished by it. It, looked, it felt like a feature film to me uh, and was fortunate to be in the position to start feeding music uh, in to those guys while they were still editing the pilot. And then so pieces of mine ended up in early cuts. They ended up, you know, uh, in, during the process of being uh, worked on by both the network and by Vince and, and his staff. And when it came time to hire a composer, I was just kind of <laughs> there in the wings waiting. It was such a different show. It still is such a different show, Breaking Bad. What did it scream out to you? Was it noir or Western? A little both, I would say. Um, and it was, it was smart. You know, it avoided so many television cliches. It, it looked stellar. It was shot on film which is you know, something that uh, is super rare, even then, now it's entirely rare. Um, and it, it just felt amazingly ambitious, uh, but not in a way that I felt was unachievable. I remember um, a while back uh, interviewing uh, David Carbonara, the composer of Mad Men. Sure. And I remember him saying something that, you would think Mad Men would have music all over the place, very specific moments, only a specified number of minutes. I remembered he did, I forget what season, but it was like, it was a big jazz theme mm. that he wrote that opened something like season three, when they moved into a new office. Mm -hmm. It was like in the first episode of the season. Did, and it just always struck me, did, like I'm wondering if Vince and Matt have a similar philosophy about music where it, it, do they do they relegate it and say, or does Vince is Vince more along the lines of, uh, hey, we only need so many minutes per episode, or is he basically an open book? Like, hey, watch this. You tell me where it needs it. I think it's the latter, but I, I do think that um, coming into it, uh, one of the things that I wanted to do was pare down the amount of music that was in it. We're talking about the pilot now very, very early on. I think in the, some original versions of the pilot that I saw, there was too much music. And I think that's a natural place for showrunners and directors to end up uh, because you've been, they've been working on something like that for so long, they feel like it needs, but actually the, the pilot was so strong that 
it, it definitely was one of those projects like Mad Men, I think, that where less was definitely more when it came to music. And the, the less you use, the more you have the ability to make an impact when you do use score. So segueing to Better Call Saul, how did, how did things change? Did the music change on? Everything changed and nothing changed. It was, it was a very fascinating creative experience for all of us, I think, who were involved because so many of us came back from Breaking Bad to work on Better Call Saul. So when we walked into early meetings on the pilot on Better Call Saul, so much of it felt familiar. A lot of the same faces, all the same, some of the same characters, of course, from from Breaking Bad. Uh, but Vince and, and co-showrunner Peter Gould were absolutely determined that it was going to be a new show. Uh, and that was a hard mold to break because not for nothing, we've been doing the same thing for a bunch of years and it had proved very successful. Uh, so to really break the mold uh, and, and start fresh, I think was a challenging ride for all of us, uh, particularly in season one, but it really proved rewarding, I think, because it allowed, particularly that first season of Better Call Saul, to stand on its own uh, without too much tentacles reaching back towards towards Breaking Bad. And now that we are further down the road on Better Call Saul and we're moving the bar closer and closer to the timeline when Breaking Bad begins, um, it feels more rewarding to be able to bring those elements or those little snippets of reminders of Breaking Bad in because we're starting from a place that was so different. I think the contrast has really helped us tell that story. So what's changed this season? How is, how is this season different musically from seasons one and two? Is there a lot more? Is there Since we're getting closer, you know, it's like we're on a prequel runway to, to Breaking Bad. Do you yeah. feel there's a lot more callback? Certainly more. I, I think it's been a gradual progression, honestly, from the very beginning. Uh, but this season introduces, reintroduces us or introduces us, depending on your viewpoint, to Gus Fring, which is obviously a big step towards the world that we know of, a darker world that we know of uh, in Breaking Bad and uh, the Mexican cartel, of course. So as we follow these characters along, I think uh, Mike Armentrout's character has been quicker to get us towards a place that we already knew him from Breaking Bad and the score that I've been working on for him, particularly now in season three, um, has been the closest yet to places I've been in, in Breaking Bad for him. Um, Jimmy's evolution or devolution uh, has been slower and more methodical, I think, uh, but I've enjoyed it even more actually because it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, a path we don't know much about because uh, he was less of a mainstay character in Breaking Bad, a very important character, but we saw a very one-sided view of him in Breaking Bad, and there's so much more to learn about Jimmy McGill and slash Salma Good Goodman um, that's been fun to, to watch his transition too. So do you use certain instruments, like with, with Aaron Trout over Jimmy? I do. Yeah, there, there's... there. You know, there are there's a world of of instruments um, that I defined in season one, uh, particularly for for Saul Goodman, Jimmy McGill, 
um, that I've stuck with. And that's, that's a lot more of a, um, a less dark world, a less processed world than I used in Breaking Bad or for Mike as we move towards Breaking Bad. Um, the aforementioned vibes, um, almost a classic rock palette. You know, some organ and bass guitar, regular electric guitars that aren't too outside, not too processed, not too too out there. Um, although we're shifting, you know, as everything shifts when these shows, and we're we're starting to get into darker places and darker territory with him as well. And then certainly the mic stuff is has more more processing involved, more atmosphere to it, um, a heaviness to it, a, a, a meanness to it, uh, more stark contrasts between moments where he's being very uh, aggressive and angry and pensive. And the the other thing I was going to ask about is how how big how big is your ensemble? Is it just you or do you have three or four guys in the studio with you? I do. I have a crew um, that, that plays for me on all this stuff going back through Breaking Bad. I, I play all of it to begin with, to be honest. Um, but then there's things like electric guitar, which I play, but play very poorly. And so as soon as I have sort of an inkling recorded of what I want, then it's easy for me to uh, go to the pros and have them play it in a way that's much much more professional and emotive than I could do. What's your primary instrument? Keyboards, piano, yeah. I started when I was very young, four or five years old, classical and, piano. And you were also an assistant to Philip Glass. Uh, no, 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 I was an assistant engineer at Philip Glass's studio in New York City when I began. Um, in my first job out of college, yep. But, uh, but it was an amazing place to be as a young guy coming out of school. Um, so much of the music that he made and also others were making in his studio because it was a, also a commercial studio available to anyone um, was an amazing place for me to just be around a, in a very eclectic New York world uh, of music going on. He's one of the few people I think who's over his career has successfully managed to to break that barrier of classical music being necessarily academia, but being culturally important and relevant, both in terms of his concert works, but in terms of film and opera and a million other things. Uh, and so it was a it was a great place. You could be there, be a an assistant there, sweeping the floors and and be working on. Uh, working on the tape room or setting up mics or working with his ensemble one day and on a David Bowie record the next. Now, uh, how did you, how did, what was your first big project? How did you crack in to uh, scoring following hmm. that? Well, I, I was actually uh, pretty involved in writing music for TV uh, in my 20s in New York, but I was doing the kind of music that is prevalent in New York at least was when I was there, which is uh, commercial spots, documentary television, news, sports, stuff like that. But it was always uh, an ambition of mine to do more dramatic, <coughs> excuse me, TV and film. So uh, that led me ultimately to move to LA, uh, where I thought my New York credits would 
take me very far and of course did me nothing and I sat on the couch for a bunch of years and uh, waited my turn but I got uh, got a lucky break and a, a friend uh, a very good friend of mine I still work with Bruno Roussel who's a music editor and was a music editor on HBO Six Feet Under and he uh, he got double booked over the last over the course of the last season of uh, Six Feet Under which enabled me to step in and assist him as a music editor and got me in the room with uh, some some very bright folks, as you might imagine, working on that show. And to get to inside view of that um, was not only enormously informative to me creatively, also, of course, I was very fortunate to be able to meet a lot of great folks, um, including music supervisors, Thomas Golovich, who I've worked with now for 10 years on both of these two shows, uh, although I knew him even prior to Six Feet Under, and, uh, and Gary Calamar also, who I've worked with. And then Gary gave me a shot after that as a composer, actually, on my first TV show, which was a TNT show called Saved that last one season about 10 years ago. And uh, then my second show was Breaking Bad. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. So you also work on Preacher. How is the right. music different? Uh, how does that differ from Better Call Saul? Is it, is it bigger or is it as subtle? No, it couldn't be more different. <laughs> it is uh, it is entirely unrestrained, and it is uh, generally bigger and bigger. And when I think it can't get bigger, it needs to be bigger still. It's uh, it's it's just an entirely different headspace to be in, and a different I think viewing experience um, to watch the show. I, I love working on it. And I, I feel blessed to work on shows that allow me to do these things that are very different. Um, Preacher has all kinds of great characters, great villains, uh, has uh, unbelievable levels of, of scares and and supernatural elements about it that, of course, are would never be around on, on Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad, which are very grounded in in realism. Uh, so it, the challenge, I think, for Preacher actually is the opposite. It's it's when you have no boundaries and everything is on the table, how do you pick? How do you choose? Um, and uh, it's and it's it is a challenge uh, and, and a, one that's evolving as we go along, I think. And the, the storyline changes a lot in season two for those of who've been watching. Uh, and there's a whole new world and a whole new palette. The whole the second season is shot and takes place entirely in New Orleans, has a very very different feel even from season one. So it's a perpetual challenge, but a, a terrific one, and uh, brings a, a, a lot of my skills to bear. Do you incorporate the Cajun in the Zydeco? <laughs> uh, I'll leave that for, for for you guys to see. But yeah, of course, there's no there's no way you 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 would you would avoid because it's such a part of the 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 now of the storytelling um, in season two. It would be foolish to to not represent some of what New Orleans brings musically, which is such a, again, itself, a, a huge broad range of things. So instrument-wise, what's your favorite thing about season one in Preacher? I think season one in Preacher is just the, 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 the orchestral scope of it, it the, big, the size of it, um, the ability to get as big as I can be and bigger that technology will allow. Uh, it's in some ways, working on preacher can be like working on an eternal movie trailer it's it's just big all the time so the number of musicians you're working with substantially bigger next to next to better call saul 
Yes, and and the power of technology that enables me to also make double mine, triple myself in that way. Yes, all the above, for sure. Let's end by talking about uh, episode six, off-brand. Sure. There is uh, the moment where Chuck mm -hmm. bravely ventures out into a neon-lit street mm. uh, to really attempt to um, just endure his his illness. And he makes a call to Dr. Cruz. Um, and again, we see this melting of sound design and music. what was going on there your inspirations and how you assembled that I think one of the, without being too general about it I think one of the things that we love to do on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is bring characters uh, that we feel deeply about one way or another uh, to their very bottom and I think I think we could agree that that for for Chuck this is the bottom he's 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 the tables have been turned on him and uh, he's lost uh, a battle to his brother, of all people, who you can never imagine losing to. And I think maybe an expected route of the storyline would see him sulking and sullen in his, in his uh, as a castaway in his house again. Um, but you know, the the Vince Gilligan, Peter Gould, and all the writers, you know, so smart, and they they really do what I thought when I watched it for the first time, something totally unexpected, and you see him do the thing you'd never think he would do, which is to reach out for help. And so we've painted Chuck in a, in a certain way, obviously, um, you know, for, for those who've watched early on in season one, you don't realize necessarily the depths to which his, his uh, relationship with Jimmy is complicated and not positive. Uh, so you actually don't view him, but then, by, of course, by the end of season one, you know that, and you know that that Chuck is not such a great person, especially if you're looking at it from Jimmy's perspective. And uh, and now we've reached, we've we've come around full circle, and we have we we can't think, at least I can't, as a viewer, in a way that's much positive about Chuck. Uh, you know, there's and and yet here we see him in an incredibly human moment I think that that moment that's uh, maybe darkest for all of us where we were confronted with the very thing that we refuse to admit to ourselves uh, and at our very lowest there's nothing left to do but to reach out and try to convince ourselves of it uh, and I think it was it was a, a hugely important moment storyline wise uh, for this season uh, and it, it also creatively opens the door um, to all kinds of new directions for his character and for the development of the character between Jimmy and Chuck. Um, so we spent a lot of time on it. We gave it a lot of thought, for sure. And then, and then, and then, musically speaking, what what went into it? Well, we st well musically, it starts like some previous scenes. I think where we've seen him have these episodes. Right, brought up out by his his condition, as he calls it, um, 
and I think that serves to remind us that to him, it's very, very real. It's very painful. There's nothing untrue about it, even if it is all psychosomatic. Uh, and then I think as we, as I move along in the course of the queue, my hope is that I'm fading away from that and bringing us back into something a little more real uh, and a little more human and dare I say, by the end of it, emotional. Excellent. Thank you. Thank Dave you Porter. very much for your time. Thank you.